It's the death of Moses, so it's a happy fun reading this morning. Uh, it's chapter 34 in Deuteronomy, and it's the old chapter, but thankfully it's a short one. Uh, then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, opposite Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the Valley of Jericho, the City of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab, 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now, Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now, what I fail to mention is there's another reading. But we're going to the New Testament now and the book of Thessalonians. And we're reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, which describes Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. 
Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, we can start now. Um, I'm James, and it's lovely to see you today. I am a trainee vicar, so um, I'm having a go at doing all this stuff, and that, you can take, make of that what you will. Um, before we start, I just want to say uh, a prayer. Um, it'd be great. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can share our lives together and that you're with us uh, in that. And we pray that you would speak to us now through these uh, scriptures and through the words that I say. Be with us. Amen. Amen. Okay, before, um, before we start the sermon proper, um, I think uh, I need to point out that I am aware that this passage um, has Moses standing on the edge of the promised land, a land that uh, when they cross over into, they start a conflict that's lasted since then. Um, and as we speak, people are in that land um, fleeing and fighting for their lives. Um, and that has real questions of inheritance and promise and covenants. Um, that are political and theological and practical, and they, they really do affect lives and faith of, of people today. But we don't have time to talk all about that, um, so I'm not going to. I also don't feel fully qualified to do that, so um, I don't want to try and do a bad job. Um, and maybe it's not helpful to point that out, but, and I'm sorry if it's unhelpful to point that out, but um, if it even just makes you know that people who stand at the front here realize we don't have all the answers, and that's probably quite good, isn't it? And to know that these are, are tricky things, and, and we have to just seek God on them sometimes and, and pray for peace and pray for God to, to lead us, um, which is hopefully what we will have a lot of chance to do, to pray for peace in that, that land that Moses was looking after, looking over the whole time. But that isn't the only question that I have um, when I look at this passage. I also read it I feel like God is being a little bit, maybe God is being a little bit petty, you know, like um, he's stopping Moses, he's entering this land that he's dreamed of, and he's been leading, he's led this group of people who pretty much, it seems like, just whinged for 40 years, um, and because, we read in the few verses before that because Moses um, was told to speak to a rock um, to get water to come out, um, but Previously, Moses had been told to hit a rock to get water to come out. So he hit the rock, and the water came out. And the second time, he's told to speak to the rock, but he hits the rock because he thinks, in his logic, it worked before, right, so it'll work again. Hitting rocks doesn't normally do that. Water doesn't normally come out anyway. But because he wasn't faithful to what God asked him to do, he's not allowed to go into the promised land. And I think, surely God could have just let him off like that one thing, that one moment of lapse of faith. We haven't quite got there yet, so um, you can, you don't need that, but anyway. Um, uh, like surely he could have honored him to finish where he's going um, after, after all the work that Moses has put in and all the faith that he's shown. And I think that kind of pettiness it potentially could be expressed by saying we're in a new covenant and Jesus took the punishment for all sin for all time and Moses had to receive the punishment for the sins that he committed because Jesus hadn't, uh, hadn't lived and died by then. But 
the pro- I have a problem with that in that, one, it would seem like that maybe would be the only thing Moses had ever done wrong, um, is hitting the rock. But I would have thought he probably did get angry sometimes with the people, and he maybe said occasionally unkind things to other people, and he might have had some impure thoughts in his life. Um, so he did more than just that one thing. But also, I don't think God is so much into punishing as he is loving. Um, and it would strike me that if the fullness of God, which Paul says in another passage in Colossians, is Jesus. The image of God we see in Jesus isn't someone who would go around throwing out punishments for a lack of faith. If we accept that Jesus is God in, as a person, God incarnate, we can't accept God as an evil dictator in the Old Testament because his character hasn't changed from Moses until now. But we have to also remember that Jesus does set a high bar for his followers. He says we should turn from our old lives and not look back. He even tells someone who wants to bury their father that they need to leave the dead to bury their dead because they need to follow him. He expects us as followers of him to be all in. And obviously in some of his actions, Moses wasn't all in. So we've got a question of God being a bit petty, of punishment, of expecting all-in disciples, Um, and that's where we're going today. And the focus is, as you see there, it matters what you do. I think there are um, things in this passage, like theological and practical and spiritual, that show that even in Christ, even as Christians, it matters what we do, and that has consequences. I've got six things to talk about, but don't worry, don't groan. Um, They're not very long. And I made this PowerPoint so that you could see our progress. Um, going through, so you don't worry that six is going to be all day. Don't worry. It's all right. Um, The first one is that grace is enough, and we need to remember that right from the start, when talking about faith or works, belief and action, it's important to say that we are saved by faith in Jesus. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's love, and there's nothing that you can do to stop him loving you. There's no action that we can do big enough to bridge the gap between us and God, And there's no action that we can do that means God can't bridge that gap. Paul, who wrote the second reading we had, and most of the New Testament, said to um, the people in Ephesus, grace has saved us through faith. And to, in Christians in Galatia, in another book, he said, we're saved by grace and not by works. It's not what we do that saves us. It's the grace of God and our faith in him. And it's important to say that because... There are people who think that the church's teaching in some places is that we can do things to earn our way to heaven or something like that. And that's not how things work in the kingdom of God, and it's not the teaching of the church either. There are people who think Judaism works like that, but it never, it never really did. There were sacrifices and offerings, but they were out of a thankfulness for what God had done by choosing them. And I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, so you can check that out if you want. I won't go into that a lot. God has always been a God of grace, and our our route to him as Christians is through faith in Jesus. So that's the first point. Number two, the heart is the heart of it. And our state of the heart has always been important to God. Throughout the Old Testament, people are given things to do, actions to do, but they're constantly reminded that what is in their heart matters more. And I've got some verses from the Old Testament. I'm not going to read them all out, but we're going to put them on there. Maybe you can see them. This is a theme throughout the Old Testament. These are the things to do, but don't lose what's in your heart. And every man, every way of man is right. I think women as well. It's just 
that's the translation, um, in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart, it says in Proverbs. And in Hosea, a prophet in the Old Testament, God says, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So there are things to do in the Old Testament, but they're constantly reminded your heart is what's important, not the things that you do. That's not what God cares about the most. And it points out in the New Testament, we'll get to that a little bit more in a second, that God, the reading said God tests our hearts. We need to remember that we don't judge other people by their actions. God is the judge because he can see their heart. And we need to make sure that our heart is turned towards God um, and following his ways. Because where our heart is at is important in what we do. And the third thing is that actions also matter and we can't just go on sinning. The New Testament, there's some verses actually, if you just go on to the next one there, that talk about how we get told that our heart is important, but what we also do matters. For the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And in Titus it says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. We are not saved by our actions, but like it says there, James is Jesus' brother, and he says our actions show our faith. And without our action, to prove that, then our faith is dead. Even Titus says that it's detestable if we live a life that doesn't reflect our faith that we profess. What we do really does matter. And Paul says to the church in Rome not to just keep on sinning just because we have that grace. We need to live out a life that shows the faith we profess. And a, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit and how Christians should be built up in those things. And it's relevant here as well because who you are as well as what you do really matters. Christians should live a life that show our faith through the actions that we do. Moses was a faithful man. He showed his faith to God uh, in so many ways, but on occasion he failed to do that. And he thought he could do things in his own strength or maybe he doubted God's way. And as Christians, we need to make sure that our actions follow the way of God and we shine the light of Christ in what we do. The fourth thing, we can move on. God's honor is important. It says a bit earlier in that Deuteronomy passage that Moses wasn't allowed to enter the promised land because he didn't uphold God's honor or God's holiness. And that's a really central bit of it. If Moses had not experienced a consequence for his action, God's name would have been made unholy or it would have been dishonored. And the image of God, the reputation of God, would have been tarnished. People know of God, this Old Testament Yahweh, because of the rules, because of this legal system he set in place. And the laws made to set his people apart from other people. And without those rules, they weren't set apart people. Paul in the New Testament quotes Isaiah and Ezekiel from the Old Testament to highlight that point a bit more. God has to work to keep his name holy, and, and actions of people can dishonor that holy name and that holy image. The New Testament reminds us that it's impossible to keep God's law, but thankfully we don't have to. We have a new covenant with Jesus that's not about rules. It's not about rules marking us out as Christians. It's about our faith in Jesus, being an identifier for the world around us. And Jesus died to pay a price for us, to be like a sign above a doorpost, as we read about in, uh, in the Exodus when people left um, Egypt. 
that there's that blood on a doorpost of the lamb that they sacrificed then. And Jesus' blood is a sign of our forgiveness. And we're marked out by God. And, and it gives us life. We are reconciled, which is a bit of a churchy word to God, and have salvation, another churchy word, because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We are validated not by what we do, but by accepting Jesus as our validation. And we can bring honor to God and reflect his holiness and with that. But what we do really matters because of how God looks through, through our mirroring of him. The fifth point is that a human side to this as well. There's spiritual aspects in our soul and our journey to salvation. But it's also obvious that our experience, um, from our experience, sorry, that um, actions have consequences. And it's all good to say that we're saved by faith, which is totally true and available to everyone. But the choices we make on earth still have a lasting impact on other people as well. My parents are divorced, which I don't think is a good thing. I don't have any hard feelings about it now, but the decisions that my parents have made have had lasting ripples on my family. And even talking about getting together at Christmas or big family celebrations are just so complicated sometimes because of that. Our actions matter because there's a human ripple that can't be undone. It can't be stopped necessarily. As well as this, sometimes people lose respect for someone if their actions don't line up with what they say. You know, like um, when a parent tells you, maybe if you've got children, how to, how to raise your kids, but their children seem like wild animals. They're, what they say doesn't carry the same respect because it's not proved by their parenthood. Um, and <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted where I was because I was thinking about wild kids. Um, yeah, maybe that's part of the reason that that Moses had to step aside and, and let someone else take over. Maybe the people had lost a little bit of faith in him, and they needed a leader who they could fully trust and fully be invested in for the next stage of their journey. We can lose faith in God when we do things in our own strength as well. I've been reading um, the autobiography of a guy called George Muller who lived in the 19th century. It's a great story of, of him totally trusting God for the provision of everything he needs in the orphanages that he ran. And he talks about our faith being strengthened the more that we use it and the more we trust God. But when we start doing things by ourselves, we end up leaning to ourselves the next time and even a little bit more. So maybe Moses, after he fall, fell once and he did it by himself, he was in danger of that happening again and again. Because it worked for him. He hit the rock and the water came out. And maybe what we do matters in a human sense as well as a spiritual one. My last point is that we can carry on the story. Um, it's potentially a little bit more contrived, but it is really important. These verses that um, Ken read are the last ones in the Torah, the, the Jewish Holy Scripture. And it finishes there with the people outside of the land and their human leader dead, um, and them needing to take the next step in faith. And that's what we're challenged to do when we follow Jesus, isn't it? To take the next step in faith. Jesus has saved us, and he's taken us to the edge of our life in him. We have to embrace the promise that he has for us. And with our heart and with our action, we have to go all in for him. So I wonder what that means for you today. And I've got some, some questions to think about. We'll have a couple of minutes before we sing another song. What, um, do your actions need to change a bit to honor God, to mirror him better? Do you need to realize and reflect and think about the human consequences of what you do and the ripples that that might have on other people? 
and their, their, uh, your reputation, the way they think of you? Does your heart need a shift in focus away from your actions being your marker, the way that you're identified or the way that you're saved to your heart being what God looks at? Do you need to just accept that you're saved by grace and what you do isn't enough to save you? It never will be and it never needs to be. We're going to have a couple of minutes to think um, on our own just about that and and then the the guys are going to come up and play a song. Um, What might God be saying to you this morning? What, through the passages that are read or the things that I've talked about, um, has struck something with you that God might be leaning you to? And if none of that made any impact on you and God doesn't seem to be showing you anything particular, just spend a few minutes praying for the the people who live in the Holy Land would be really special as well, Um, and the people who are making choices for what happens there at the moment.